You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. And I want to see God do what in our text happened, that people turn to the Lord as a result of the testimony of the miraculous. And here's what I leave with you. What do you need to do? What do I need to do? Practically speaking, to give God an opportunity to do the miraculous in and through our lives. Take that step of faith. Get out of the boat. Get your feet wet. Give. Honor the Lord with your wealth. When it doesn't make sense on paper, when the budget just is crazy, give anyway. Have the elders anoint you with oil before you go through the doctor. It might seem like the miracles we see in the Bible just don't happen anymore, that Americans don't experience signs and wonders like other nations. Today, Pastor Danny shares that the Lord still works in wondrous ways. You just have to have your heart in the proper position. Part of experiencing miracles is that you need to get your feet wet. You need to step out of the boat in obedience. Try giving to the church until it hurts a little. The reward of the Lord's deliverance will be worth the mild discomfort. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Acts chapter 9 with today's edition of The Living Word. I believe there's a clear connection between what the Bible calls the baptism of the Holy Spirit and miracles. Jesus never performed a miracle until at his baptism in the Jordan River where he identifies with death, burial, and resurrection. Then the Holy Spirit comes upon him. And it wasn't until the Holy Spirit came upon him in power that he began to do miracles. He said in Acts 1-8 to his disciples, you'll be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you with power, power, dunamis. We get our word dynamite from it. I believe there's a clear connection between the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the miraculous. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are miraculous. Despite miracles, some people still don't believe. Isn't that incredible? Think about the miracles of Exodus. The Exodus from Egypt and all the miracles God did and repeatedly Pharaoh and the Egyptians hardened their heart and refused to believe. Prophets like Elijah. I mean, he's raising people from the dead, doing amazing things. And his successor, Elisha, Elisha, when Elijah's about to go to heaven, he didn't die, you know, he went to heaven in a chariot of fire pulled by horses of fire. And just before he's going to leave, he says to Elisha, anything I can do for you before I go? He says, I'd like a double portion of your blessing. He says, well, I don't know, but if you see me when I leave, you got it. If not, you don't. He saw him leave. There are twice as many recorded miracles in Elisha's ministry as in Elijah's ministry. With that said, Elijah went up In a chariot of fire, Elisha died of an unidentified illness. The Bible just says the illness that he died from. He didn't get his miracle. John 12 says this, even after Jesus had performed so many signs or miracles in their presence, they still would not believe in him. 
All the gospels record 37 miracles. Now, Jesus did more than that because one other verse in John says, if everything Jesus did were written down, the world didn't have, wouldn't have enough room for all the books that would be written. But 37 recorded we have in the gospels. Let me give you a, a summary, some of the things he did. What was the first one he did? First miracle. He turned water into wine. He healed lepers. He raised people from the dead. A widow's son, Lazarus. He said to a storm, be still, and it was calm. He delivered the demon possessed. He healed the lame. He gave sight to the blind. He multiplied on more than one occasion just a little bit of food and fed thousands of people. And then his most significant miracle, he said, nobody takes my life, I lay it down. I have the power to lay it down, I have the power to take it up again. He raised from the dead. That's his most significant miracle. Despite all the things he did, some people still don't believe Say one more thing and we'll move on to try to answer our question. Satan seeks to deceive through counterfeit miracles. God seeks to testify to the truth through the miraculous. Satan uses counterfeit miracles to try to deceive people and lead them away from the truth. Second Thessalonians, the coming of the lawless one, the Antichrist, will be in accordance with how Satan works. He'll use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie. In all the ways the wickedness deceives those that are perishing. Revelation tells us, and it, speaking of the it, there's the false prophet, referred to as a beast. That's the way heaven sees him, just like the Antichrist. But the world didn't see him that way. But that's the way heaven sees him, because they are. That's their true nature. And it performed great signs, the false prophet, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of the people. Because of the signs it was given power to do, it deceived the inhabitants of the earth. False prophet does these counterfeit miracles to cause people to bow down and worship the Antichrist. Now, how do you know if a sign, a miracle is counterfeit? How do you know? There are three biblical ways how to recognize counterfeit miracles. Number one, do they lead me away from the God of the Bible? Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse one. If a prophet or one who foretells by dreams appears among you and announces to you a sign or wonder, and if the sign or wonder spoken of takes place, and the prophet says, let us follow other gods, gods you have not known, and let us worship them. You must not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer. The Lord your God is testing you to find out whether you love him with all your heart and with all your soul. So if it leads you away from the God of the Bible, counterfeit. Second, if whoever or whatever group is behind the miraculous thing that's happening and they don't acknowledge the sovereignty of Jesus Christ, that he's God, very God, come in the flesh, the only savior of the world, counterfeit. And third, does it lead me into what the Bible would classify as sin? And if it does, counterfeit. Now, back to our question. Why don't we see more miracles? Some say miracles have ceased. Usually they base it on 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is what I was taught in the Baptist church that I was a part of, and I'm not knocking the Baptist church. I love my brothers and sisters with my Baptist heritage. I love them. But I discovered what I was taught it's not true. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8, love never fails. Where there are prophecies, they'll cease. Where there are tongues, they'll be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it'll pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness or perfection comes, what is in part disappears. And I was taught the completeness or the perfection is the word of God. And once the word of God was completed, God's no longer doing miraculous things. But that's not what the passage says. You can't get that out of that passage because he goes on to say in the context, we see in a, in a glass darkly. You put that where we know in part, we prophesy in part. When are we going to see clearly? When are we going to know fully? Not until Jesus comes. 
Not, a, not when the Bible was completed. No, when Jesus comes. That's when perfection is, and that's when completeness is, when Jesus comes. That's clear from the scriptures. I mean, the context of 1 Corinthians 13 is the spiritual gifts, which are miraculous. And so I discovered the truth about the miraculous and the gifts of the Holy Spirit before I ever experienced it. I studied it. I learned it from studying the scriptures. So miracles haven't ceased. How many have witnessed or experienced some kind of miracle? A miracle. How many? Look at all the hands. There are a lot of hands in every service. So miracles haven't ceased. Why don't we see more? The next one, it's a biggie. And I'm going to again be brutally honest. This next point I've been doing this a long time. I've been walking with the Lord a long time. I'm not saying that. To, I'm just saying I've been, I've been a Christian now much longer than I was lost. But on this next point, I feel, I feel this big. And I want to grow. I really want to grow. I want to grow. This next one's a biggie. A lack of faith. Let me just read you some excerpts from some stories in the Gospels. Luke chapter 8. The disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. They're in the boat, the storm. He got up, rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. And then he asked him this question, where's your faith? Two blind men came to him. They want him to heal them. They want to see. They're blind. Matthew 9. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and asked him. And he asked them, do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and he said, according to your faith, will it be done to you? Matthew 21 records a a story where Jesus is walking with the disciples and he, he goes by this fig tree. It's fig season. The, the fig tree looks like it should have figs on it, but when he goes to pick some because he's hungry, there are no figs. And you know what he does? He curses the fig tree. Next day, they're walking back by the same fig tree. It's withered and the disciples take notice and say, Lord, the fig tree you cursed, it's withered. And here's what he says. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but you can say to this mountain, and he obviously points out a mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it'll be done. If you believe, you'll receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Now, I got to interject here. There is a teaching that is more faith in faith than faith in God in the camp called the prosperity doctrine. It's there as well, where it's more faith than faith. And if you have faith, then you can get the nicer car and you can get the bigger house and you can get the nice clothes and the money and the job and all that. And while I believe that teaching is unbiblical, I also believe we can learn something because at least those people are going, we're believing, we're believing. Mount of Transfiguration, that's what we call it, where Jesus took Peter, James, and John. He goes up on the mountain. He was transfigured before them. They saw him in all his glory. They come back down from the mountain. The other nine apostles have been trying to cast a demon out of this father's son. They've been unsuccessful. And they say, Lord, why couldn't we cast it out? He says, this kind of comes out only by prayer. Then the father comes to Jesus and he says, if you can help us, would you please? And here's what Jesus says. If you can, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, and here am I, and I think I got some more witnesses on this one. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Now, I got to say a couple of practical things here, and I, I think they're very practical. Now, we got to know it's the will of God. We're going to get into that in just a minute, but faith has to be exercised. For example, Jesus up in the mountain praying for the disciples, or he's praying, and he sees the disciples there straining because there's another storm. It's the middle of the night. He comes in the third watch of the night between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. He's walking on the waves in the storm. They see him. They think he's a ghost at first. 
And they cry out. They think they're going to die. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. It's me. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, bid me come to you on the water. And Jesus says, come. Now, you got to make sure Jesus says, come. Are you with me? I mean, you, are you with me? You got to make sure Jesus says, go. Every, every uh, tour I've led in Israel, one of the highlights is a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee, and I do a little Bible study, and I, every time I give an opportunity at the end of the Bible study for anybody that's got the faith to step out of the boat and try to walk on the water. I haven't had one taker, including myself, in all these years. But if Jesus says, come, you got to step out of the boat. And if you don't step out of the boat, you won't walk on water. Now, that real-life story has a ton of applications, And I don't know what the Holy Spirit might be saying to some here today. And you're in a situation, and here's your security. You're in the boat. But God's saying, no, you want to see the miraculous? Step out of the boat. Joshua 3 and 4, Joshua is leading the children of Israel into the land of promise. And the instruction is the priests are to take up the ark of the Lord. And the New Testament tells us we are priests. The ark is the presence and the power of God. They take the ark. The Jordan is at flood stage. They got to cross the Jordan. And here's the instruction. As soon as the priest touch their feet in the water, God will part the Jordan. And the applications for that story are many. Because sometimes God wants to do a miracle, but you got to get your feet wet. You got to do something. You can't just stand back and watch. Everybody else is doing it. No, you get your feet wet. Do something. Take a step. Take a step of faith and do something. And you watch God. The widow of Zarephath, God sent the prophet Elijah to her, said, I'm going to provide for you through her. That took faith for Elijah and for the widow. He says, here's the word of the Lord. As she's gathering sticks to go home and make one last meal for her and her son and die, they are destitute. And here's the word of the Lord. Before you make that for you and your son, make something for me, Elijah says, and give to me. And she's giving really to the Lord through that ministry. And she does it. But if she had not done it, and it did not make sense on paper, the, the budget certainly didn't call for this. You know, I, mean, there's, I mean, what kind of budget does she have anyway? But she, by faith, gives, and God multiplies miraculously. And she'd have never seen the miracle had she not given when it did not make sense. So this is a biggie. This is a biggie, faith. But it's not faith in faith, it's faith in God. You know, you've got to know it's God's will. And sometimes it's just not God's will. Interesting, he could not do many miracles there in his hometown, Nazareth, except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. So faith is a big deal. But sometimes it's just not God's will. First John, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, we know we have whatever we've asked of him. So you've got to know what, what's his will. So how do I do that? Well, that's a whole message in itself, but I can give it to you in two brief points. Romans chapter 12, verses one and two. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In the context, he's talking about the word of God. You know what the next verse is? Then you'll be able to discern what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So you've heard it maybe hundreds of times. You're gonna hear it one more time unless you're saturating your life with the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Secondly, You got to develop the kind of prayer life and the kind of life of prayer that you grow and learn to discern the leading of the Holy Spirit, the leading of the Holy Spirit. And you put those two together and that's how you discern the will of God, the word of God and the leading of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads you to pray. The Holy Spirit leads you to do something and the Holy Spirit prophesies through you. And you don't even know what you're prophesying maybe like me and the Randy Almquist story, but it's miraculous. 
Sometimes it's not God's time. Acts 3 has the story of a beggar that every day is brought to a gate in Jerusalem called Beautiful, at the temple there, a gate called Beautiful. And he's laid there every day, and he's a beggar every day there. Jesus would have passed by that beggar time and time and time again through three years of public ministry. And that beggar heard about other people being healed, probably saw other people being healed, and yet he was never healed. God had him reserved for one day. Peter and John are on their way to the temple at the hour of prayer, three in the afternoon, and they encounter the beggar. They'd seen him before, but on this occasion, the Holy Spirit leads Peter. And Peter's, Peter's sensitive to it. And he looks down, the beggar thinks they're gonna give him money. And Peter says, silver and gold, I do not have, but such as I have, I give unto you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up. And Peter reaches down and grabs him by the hand and helps him up, and he begins to leap and jump and praise God. God heals him. It wasn't God's time before. Sometimes God has given sufficient evidence and he chooses, you make a decision based on the evidence. I'm not going to do anything miraculous. I've done the miraculous and I've testified to it and there's sufficient evidence. Herod wanted to see Jesus and it says in Luke's gospel chapter 23 that he wanted to see Jesus and when he saw him, he hoped that Jesus would perform some miracle. Well, the day comes and Jesus stands before him. Not only does Jesus not perform a miracle, every question Herod asked, Luke 23 says Jesus gave him no answer. You got enough evidence and your heart's hard and you just wanna, you just wanna show. That's all you want. And I'm not giving it to you. And then last but not least, by the way, Thomas, we call him Doubting Thomas. He refused to believe. He said, unless I see him, unless I see the scars and, and touch him, I won't believe. And then Jesus walks through the wall on occasion when Thomas is there, and you know the story. He falls down before Jesus, and Jesus says, you, you, you want to touch? You want to Thomas? He says, my Lord and my God. Because you've seen me, Jesus says, you believe. Blessed are those who have not seen and believed. That would be me. Because there's sufficient evidence. And sometimes the reason is just hidden in, with God. Don't know. Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord. There are a lot of things in the Bible I don't understand. Paul the Apostle did extraordinary, extraordinary miracles. Yet he himself prayed for the thorn in the flesh to be removed, and God said, nope, not my will. His number one ministry associate, young Timothy, number one guy, Paul said, I got nobody else like Timothy. Everybody else looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But Timothy, he's the most mature on my team. And yet he told Timothy, Stop drinking only water. Use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your oft infirmities. Explain that to me. You go on a missions trip and they were missionaries. One of the first things they say is don't drink the water. Timothy was sick a lot. I don't understand that. Epaphroditus almost died and none of Paul's prayers worked there. God did eventually heal him, but it doesn't sound like it was miraculous. James was beheaded by Herod, and when he saw it pleased the Jews, he arrested Peter also, intending to do the same with Peter. But in the middle of the night, God sent an angel and miraculously delivered Peter from the prison and from that fate. John the Baptist, Jesus said, among those born of women, there's no one greater than John the Baptist. He was beheaded. He didn't get his miracle. Daniel was delivered from the lion's den, miraculously. Zechariah the prophet was murdered between the altar and the sanctuary. Elijah goes up to heaven in a chariot of fire pulled by horses of fire. His successor dies of an unknown illness. He didn't get his miracle. There are things I don't understand. I just don't understand. 
Then you have that record in Hebrews 11 where it mentions one miraculous thing after another and, and the people God used and worked through to perform these miracles. Then you get to verse 32. Middle of verse, or verse 36. Some faced jeers and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. And catch this next verse. Don't miss this next verse. These were all commended for their faith. Sometimes the supernatural and the miracle is the supernatural ability to stand in the face of persecution, pain, injustice, and even death. Sometimes that's the miracle. I love what our friend Ken's been with the Lord now for a few years, and his good friend, Pastor Vivian, who pastored here, associate pastor here for years. Viv's Irish, Ken's Scottish, and they were great friends. They were so great to be around. They're both with the Lord now. Ken wrote something, and I think God gave this. I know God gave it to him. I should have put it on the PowerPoint. Just listen carefully. Faith is a life that dares to commit beyond its means. Expecting what sense cannot certify, based on God's promise, dependent on God's supply, motivated for God's glory, and confident in God's integrity. That's good stuff. I want to see God do more miracles, but not just for miracles' sake, for the glory of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. And I want to see God do what in our text happened, that people turn to the Lord as a result of the testimony of the miraculous. And here's what I leave with you. What do you need to do? What do I need to do? Practically speaking, to give God an opportunity to do the miraculous in and through our lives. Take that step of faith. Get out of the boat. Get your feet wet. Give. Honor the Lord with your wealth. When it doesn't make sense on paper, when the budget just is crazy, give anyway. Have the elders anoint you with oil before you go through the doctor. We have an elders meeting at 1230, room C24. Wasn't planning on it, but a couple came last night and they said, that thing you were talking about, anointing with oil, my wife's dealing with this issue. She's got a thing happening with the doctor on Wednesday. And they said, when can we be anointed? I said, what about Wednesday night? Before they told me about the Wednesday morning, they said, well, her thing is Wednesday morning with the doctor. I said, well, what are you doing tomorrow at 1230? And they're coming. And if you want to come, you come. We'll anoint you. We'll pray for you. I don't know if God's going to heal you. I don't know. At this point, I mean, God may give us a word and give us a confirmation as we pray. All I know, we're going to do what the Bible says. Call for the elders, have them anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord. You want to be prayed for? You got something you're dealing with? We'll pray for you. You got a marriage that's on the rocks. And I know I'm talking to somebody. Now, nobody's cued me in. I, nobody's ratted on you. But I know I'm talking to somebody. Your marriage is on the rocks. Serious trouble. Before you throw in the towel, consider this. Would you be willing to die to your rights in that marriage? To how you've been wronged? Would you do what Jesus did? He had done nothing wrong. He willingly died. And if you willingly will die, you will give God an opportunity to put resurrection power. I'm not saying it's a guarantee your marriage will be saved. I'm saying it's a guarantee that God will be able to work through you with resurrection power. But you got to be willing to die. It's not waiting for them to change. You die and see what God might be able to do. And last, but certainly not least, and this is my favorite part, if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you're willing to repent, it means to turn and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and put your faith in him. He'll do a miracle. You must be born again. That is not a cliche. That is a statement of God 
wanting to do a miracle. You must be born again by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. In the same way that God created out of nothing, he will do a supernatural work in your life and you'll become a different person. And in the process of becoming a different person, he will save your soul from damnation. That's the icing on the cake. You've been listening to another edition of The Living Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Fellowship. Thanks for joining us. Have you been enjoying this study in the book of Acts? If so, Pastor Danny has more to share from this series, and we hope that you'll tune in to hear about it. Acts is a powerful book full of incredible things that God did in the early church. Isn't it amazing how he uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things? With that in mind, open your heart up to the call that God has on your life. He's gifted you with incredible things that can impact his kingdom in mighty ways. If God can use Paul, he can use you too. If you'd like to hear more of Pastor Danny's messages from this series in the book of Acts, visit ccfstpete.church. Once you're there, click on the media tab and you'll be able to find an archive of past teachings. If you live in or near the St. Petersburg area, we would love to meet you. Visit us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship on Saturdays at 6 p.m. or Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. for a time of worship and Bible study. You can find out more by going to our website, ccfstpete.church. If you're unable to join us in person, no worries. We offer a live stream of our weekend services. Just visit our website and click on the link in the menu. We're glad to know that you're a part of our listening audience, and we hope that you'll continue to desire and search out and study the living word. The power.